Ah, <laughs> uh, here we go. All right. Okay. So in three, two, one. Hello, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and a very warm welcome to you wherever you may be in the world. Welcome to season one of Speakery Notes, a series of interviews with people who are marvellous at live and virtual... John Henry Brown Lovely. I met today's Speakery Notes guest for the first time here, back probably in 2011, I think, in Munich. He was speaking at a very grand brand juicer event, which was taking place in the splendid Vier Jahreszeiten Hotel. I'd known of him for years, obviously, heard rumours that he could do magical things with audiences. Um, I'd finally get to see that magic in 2016 at Silicon Beach in Bournemouth, England, where the Herdmeister herded an audience in a way that only the Herdmeister can. When I'm asked to give tips and tricks about audience participation, I say just don't do it. <laughs> because there's only one man who can do it properly. And he's my next guest. It's my very good friend. The Herdmeister. Howdy. Hello, Blossom. Mark Earls, everybody. Congratulations on uh, firing up your Steam-driven computer, Mark. It's, it's amazing. I think the technology is, 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 is amazing. It still works after 100 years. Uh, just to give the listeners a bit of a heads up on what's going on, um, Mark has stoked the oven on his 1910... Steam-driven iMac, and he has been. He just admitted that he's uh, been waiting for about 150 years for the M1 <laughs> iMac, and it's still not here. So, but he's managed. So, thank you for spending the time with us, Mark. How the devil are you, sausage? I'm good, despite of the craziness of the world in which we live, and particularly the world in which we live here in the UK. You see, I think this is really interesting that the U that everybody in the UK thinks that you haven't quite realised how well we're buggering it up here in Germany. Because you go, you just you think, well, we're we're ruled by Muppets, so we must be doing worse than Germany because obviously Germans get it. No, we're doing a really bad job right now. Yeah, I know. We're we're all really confused because the one thing that the British government have done. For years, it's any good, to be honest, for a decade, yeah. is the vaccine rollout. Yeah, he flew The only thing they've done of any good. He fluked it. He fluked yeah. it. Totally. <laughs> totally. But that's why you need to hire in people from the outside is the answer always. Wow. Yeah. Always be closing. A, B, C, listener. Always. Sign here. Sign here on the dotted line. Sign up. <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> like consultants, man, always, yeah. cl always closing. Okay, yeah. so welcome, okay. welcome to Speakery Notes. Uh, we always start off Speakery Notes uh, talking about this. Speaker stick. Ah, uh, that's uh, Timo Peach there. The voice of Timo Peach, the the music of Timo Peach, fantastic. He's he's such a love. He's such a he's such a sausage. Um, 
What's your speaker shtick, Mark Ellis? For somebody, for for the for a listener who's not seen you do what you do, what do you do? What do you talk about? Uh, so the subject's always about people, one way or another, and how we think about people. That's the thing. People stuff, and not in an HR kind of way, and not in a self improvement, um, five ways to change your life way. Uh, but the people that we come across as marketers, business people, colleagues, um, creators, whatever, production people we work with, they're still people. And, you know, we all have face challenges with people all the time. And most of which, most of the challenges are the fact that we've got some very strange view of people. So I try and give people a better map. And rather than just draw it and say, look, draw that, copy that from the screen now. I um, learned a long time ago that a combination of polemic and disruptive polemic and getting them to do things that they learn together with each other rather than from me is the best way to go. What do you mean by disruptive polemic? So uh, so here's an example. I did, if the market research industry have been lovely to me over the years. They've listened to me and indulged me. And, and one conference I remember um, was about the future of market research. And I just, um, I got on the stage and I stood there and looked at them, and this is sort of your kind of performative stickers, but I just lit, looked at them. Looked around, looked at them again, looked at my watch, and I worked out I could probably probably get to about five minutes. I did ten. Wow. And we went through audience ripples, which was brilliant, because there was that initial shuffling down, and then <clears throat> and then sort of a minute or so in, there's a bit of disrupt, disrupting discomfort, people looking, where's he going to start? And almost a bit like in, in um, The Sound of Music when the Von Trapp family re- failed to return to the stage for their encore. Um, it was, what's going to is he is he doing anything? What is this? What is this? And that discomfort I really enjoyed. And eventually, after 10 minutes, I just said, look, how long? How long? How long? We're going to have to wait till you actually catch up with how people really are and start using those frameworks and models to do something useful. It was a bit unfair, but your combination of drama... Yeah. And them feeling with each other the discomfort in an audience um, and uh, polemic there, disruptive challenge. See, I think this is something that a lot of people forget when they, um, when they, because there's this whole magic about keynote speakery and mm. I want to get on the circuit and I want to do this mm. thing and uh, I want to go to the circus actually that's it, what I want to do not the circuit yeah the speaker the speakery circus maybe when all of this is done Mark yeah because I've got an elephant costume that you could be the rear end of no nah, well be great. man I can see you in a top hat herding <laughs> so <laughs> the greatest showman on earth in making of this show yeah, but it's interesting that the people they always concentrate on things like clickers and 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 pretty slides and scripts and things, but they always forget about the audience mm. and what you can do with them, um, and and that you standing on stage. <laughs> I bet you could have gone on for twenty. Imagine a TED that's seventy minutes. <laughs> just standing there such a great thing wouldn't it be it would be amazing oh, I'll tell you what I, I, that's an idea I think I might recycle that one I think you should yeah. I think you should um, I think you should pitch that to a TEDx somewhere and say look listen <laughs> I've got a, this thing right and it's just one sentence 
but it takes 17 <laughs> minutes to get there. <laughs> and the, Brilliant. And the yeah. sentence is, how long are you prepared to wait? <laughs> Thank you for coming to my TEDx. <laughs> Good night. TEDx Slough. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, we, um, I, uh, I w wrote a piece of theatre many years ago while I was still studying with with my uh, best mate Tim Plester. It was called Whoops Apotheosis, but he then went on to rework it, and it's a play called All Day Breakfast. And part of it was that sections were timed with a toaster. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, so, and the audience were, they, they, we could see, they came up to us afterwards and said, we'd really, I thought he can't possibly be waiting for the toast to pop up. Everybody clear throats, it's speakery notes. That whole playing with audiences and is, is a, is a really important factor of, 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 of what it is. And it's like a playing with an audience is kind of at the very core of what it is you do. No, I think that's right. And um, I think part of it is my discomfort with the built-in assumptions, if you like, the, the, the structure, the cultural structure of a conference or a keynote speech, which is there's a person at the front who knows everything, who's really clever and special, and he or she, mostly he, because after all, what do they know, um, will, will share the, the wisdom with you and you get to write some stuff down, and they show some charts which you get to photo, you get to, to grab a snap of, to reproduce in your next departmental meeting. It's just, it's just nonsense. Who can sit there for more than 10 minutes of that stuff unless the speaker is actually engaging you? And the stuff you remember is not the stuff that's written in their long, boring PowerPoint. It's a story, a feeling. You remember when we did that thing? He made us do that thing. Yeah. That was the thing that... That, that reminds us, that's an anchor, a mnemonic that we've got now to hold on to this thought about how people really are. And that's how I got to hear about you. It wasn't, and it wasn't because of the books. Um, may have been a little bit to do with the blog, because Mark, mm -hmm. Mark used to be part of the blogosphere back in the day. <laughs> do you still have the blog? I, do, I don't use it at all, though. Oh. I mean, I was thinking about what to do with it. I thought about it this time last year. And I posted a couple of times and I just thought, this isn't giving me any pleasure because I think I've said this stuff before and um, it's also me writing into a void. So it's not none of this audience interaction that we've just been talking about. Yeah. And I'm in control, right? Yeah. And what's the point of that? Yeah, that's, that's dull. That's not <laughs> punk. Is it? It's not fun. Yeah. It's not fun to not, you know, element of jeopardy is always important, I think, in any piece of creative work that you do, whether it's for other people or for yourself. I think and you have to keep putting jeopardy in there to, to keep yourself, to keep your bar raised and raised and just keep pushing yourself further and further. Otherwise, it's, you become like a, some kind of pre-recorded monster. So, um, how does it feel like? I mean, because and because it because you're pushing the boundaries of of what it is that a feels acceptable on a conference stage, which, as you know, I'm a big fan of. Mm -hmm. um, but b kind of it's 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 always there's a massive level of risk with 
or audience participation, particularly the stuff you do. Mm. Um, how does it how does it feel just before you go on stage? Do you still get nervous about doing? Of course that? I do. Yeah. Now I start getting nervous. You know, a couple of days before a show, because I do think about it as a show rather than a keynote. And um, and I prepare for it like a show, so you know how the songs sort of go, um, unless something happens on the night that you want to do them differently. Um, you know, most of the you've got a few sort of punchlines that you've sort of prepared, but you know better ones will occur on the day, and you know vaguely the structure that you're probably going to follow. Yeah, and you've thought all that through on the basis of who's like to be in the room and what's going on before you and after you. I did one in Kathmandu a few years ago for Jane Goodall's. Um, one of her big animal charities, and um, it was amazing. They're amazing people and doing really much more important things than I'll ever be involved in, you know, look, look, fighting animal cruelty across Asia. Extraordinary people. But before me was, first of all, opening up, was a dancing Nepalese lion. Mate, you've got no chance. Yeah. You're bad. Yeah. <laughs> then a monk. <laughs> <laughs> And then, ladies and gentlemen, Marco, the herd of What? So I'm here today. I'm here today to talk to you about advertising. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, I learned that a long time ago. Never to talk about advertising. Oh man, I uh, just, I still no, get, I still get yeah. such a kick from doing my stuff just before somebody's about to come on and talk about <laughs> ad tech. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. I've got a series of T-shirts, and I've got only the URL now, which is Tech Won't Save Us. Because I'm just so bored of those tech bros who, Mate, willingly I, or otherwise, I don't think you, I, you, you don't get it, man. You've no. got you've got a steam driven <laughs> iMac. How can you? Yeah, right. How can you not understand the hustle? Yeah, no, I get the hustle. I get the hustle. I just think that tech will save us. It's people and the creativity that we can we can generate and the feelings that people can have as a result of doing something and the way they can change stuff and put it into their lives as a result of what we've been using, whatever tech it is for. Even if that tech is a film projector or a um, a dance floor that we can get people to do something on. Yeah. You know, it's it's just, it's just whatever tech's there. It, the tech itself won't save us, won't make the world better. I think you're right. Well, obviously you're right. Um, I think what I'd like to do now is I'd like to have a look, dive a little bit deeper, maybe put uh, one of your performances in the, into the minds of the people. I'd like to put two performances into the minds of our listeners in the next section, which is called... The best and worst of So let's, could you give us an example of something you've done that was the best one ever? Um, so I like a challenge. I've got, you could choose between the German one, the German market researchers and the American market researchers. Oh, oh, let's go for, let's go for the Germans. Come on. See, as you know, I've got a, a strong affinity and love of Germans and Germany, and um, and the German language as well. And I the German point language, out. yeah. Um, no, I, 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 you know, and so, but I'm very aware of all the stereotypes 
that other people and the Germans themselves <laughs> use about Germans. And um, I was asked to go and um, do a piece for the German Qualitative Research Bureau, I Oh, dear, I think it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, good Lord. That's an organization that went, if you were, if that organization was a human, you'd pat them on the shoulder and a cloud of dust would. <laughs> okay. I thought yeah. they were lovely. They I are, thought they, they were lovely. They are lovely they, people, but a bit dusty. A bit dusty. And so I was, um, it was heavily suggested to me that I shouldn't. Well, that was a mistake. <laughs> oh my God, don't tell me not to. I'll definitely do it. And more. Um, I shouldn't do some of my... I'll never be able to get them to do this. I said, look, you no, know, it's fine. It's fine. It works everywhere. We'll say where it doesn't work in a minute. But um, And there are about 350 of them. And uh, they had a very earnest morning session. And um, I was the entertainment um, in the run-up to the lunch break. And... Um, <laughs> the monkey... <laughs> and um, so the, the, the focus of this particular one this particular one is was about our herd nature our social um, the fact we're social creatures that we learn from each other and we respond to each other and you know we can never escape the other as Freud put it mm. other people are just so important in our behaviour and so much of Anglo-Saxon and I mean Saxon as well as Anglo um, uh Cultural assumptions about people is that they're individual units of humanity, and that's the appropriate level to understand them. So that's the that's the sort of sciencey bit. Now I've got a number of games to play, but one of them is the one that they were most nervous about, and it's um, uh, it's a it's a game you'll know as the jumping game. Oh, you got right. me to do this in Bournemouth. I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> on stage as well, right? I know. Um, so. The, the point being, right, I, um, I, uh, the game set is really simple and you get people to sort themselves into pairs to face each other and then to hold hands. And I always apologise that the Brits are the ones who are most embarrassed about holding hands. Everyone else feels a lot better, unless they're a Brit, in which case they're really now aware that they're holding hands with another human being. And the, the, the task is really simple. I say to people, your job is to get your partner off the ground as many times as you can. Now... They all look back at me and use one of those young people expressions, you know, WT something. And then um, they look back at their partner and there's a little ripple of humour. I said, no, the most times off the ground, get them off the ground the most times, go. I give them about 10 seconds. And normally within two or three, we've got about half the room bouncing up and down. No, maybe five seconds. And after 10 seconds, it's about three quarters of them have gone there and some of them have gone through the other side and done something else. The solution to this game that always emerges is you basically jump up and down together. And it's a really simple solution. Now, there are other solutions, but that's the simplest one that everyone sort of lands on. And it spreads socially through the room. And I could see the look on the organiser's face as we approach this moment. And I said, look, we'll see how they go and I'll see how, you know, how I feel and I'll probably, yeah. But knowing for a while, I was absolutely going to do it and a look of horror on her face. And of course, they absolutely loved it because they're human. They're not German, they're humans. <laughs> and of course, they live in a culture which is shaped by many things, which are many of which are German, but that doesn't matter. They're humans and they love the game. And one of the things that that 
game actually plays to is that we really like being told what to do here. <laughs> so jump up and down, okay. stay up in the air as long as you can. That sounds okay. <laughs> uh, I'll do that then if I want. Yeah. Am I the most compliant? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so look, I mean, it went, it went really, really rapturously well, and they wanted to do it again. Really? There's no point in doing it again, right? There's absolutely no point in doing it again because once you've done it once, it's really obvious what you will do, and you get bored, and then it, the, the, the visual impact and the visceral impact you, you see of an idea spreading through a group of people in a relatively small space is gone. You don't see that spread anymore. You see lots of weird noise. But it's also the, very interesting that because of the dy- dynamics of events, um, you're getting people to do something which is actually a, 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 a release. So you're getting them... then Because instead of passively sitting there kind of wondering what's for lunch, mm-hmm. waiting for the next tweet, tweetable, Instagrammable slide... Yeah, you're actually getting yeah. some. Oh, I can actually move now, which is really good. Yeah, well, getting people to move as opposed to sit in a seat is so unnatural to sit in a seat for that long. I mean, I struggle when I'm at, well, here at home, not because I'm easily distracted, but because I am easily distracted. But I can't sit for very long. You know, an hour is about a limit. Um, so, you know those days when you're on a Zoom call, one after another, after another, after another, which is you forgot to manage your diary properly. So, and yeah. you get to the end of the day, and you just think. What's happened to my to my body? My lower back and my buttocks seem to have fused. I'm now an airfix soldier. What was the worst one? When did it go really one. bad? Well, okay, so you got a choice of New York or Istanbul. I, I'm going to go for New York because I think that's so. I think that the, the potential stuck upness in New York is probably a little bit more amusing. So I've got I I had a similar kind of experience prepared for people, um, and it was going to be you know as particularly it was an um, individually and specially invited audience. Oh god! Um, and it was at one of the uh, one of the um, advertising industries trade bodies or something. So it was, was it the people. one? Was it the one club or something like that? No, no, it was in it was in one of their offices, and oh, it was god. and it was a, a purpose built thing. It's like, oh really. And um, yeah, and nobody turned up. <laughs> Man, you not say nobody. There are about there are about ten people there. So you really, you can't most most of the, when you've designed an experience for a crowd, you can't then do it for twelve people. Yeah. So I had to then um, I had to invent some games that we could play around the table together on the hoof. Um, literally, as there was clear, no one was coming. I had to just go, what have I got in the bag? What have I got in the bag that we could repurpose here? And in fact, it went fine. Yeah. It went fine because they weren't used to, they were expected to have a talk. And instead, they played some games and talked it in between. Which is, you know, just much more useful for them. Because they can read, they can go and read a book or read an article or search yeah. a PowerPoint later on. But to play a game and get something out of it. You know, I reckon, I don't know when, when, if you think about it this way, maybe my work has got more message in it, more explicit message than yours has. 
Um, but um, thanks, thanks, Mark. No, it, I think that yours is really more powerful. I'm always, always <laughs> completely awestruck by the way you make people feel and rethink what they're doing without knowing that they've been forced to do that. It's just amazing. Thank you. No, it really is, and, and I feel a bit of a fraud talking about my shtick compared to yours. But well, no, it's anyway, so, I think this is a, again, this is an, uh, an important point that there are different shticks. People, yeah. people book us, people book you because of your differentness. Yeah, look, I think, and I think that my shtick is, I think there's a philosophical bit underneath it because I'm quite a serious boy, really. Yeah. Which is, I, I used to think when I started working in advertising and marketing years ago, long ago when the wheel was still a novel thing, um, um, that it was my job to be clever and come up with a clever thing the answer to everything or to be had a clever critique and the truth is it's not things only stick in organizations if other people think it's their idea mm. so you have to give them the tools to make them think that the thing that that you've given them <laughs> the ideas the direction you're pointing them in is their idea it's the only way to do it whether you're doing innovation or you're doing communications or or you know leadership coaching you just have to not be the smartest person in the room not find the answer and it's really you know so what's the implication of this mark and i go well here's one that i thought of but can you think of any <laughs> you know that's that's how you have to do it because you know it's not the i, I so i get so riled by you know um strategy in five minutes a day or uh, understand what your heart tells you in three easy steps. No, no. Well, that's LinkedIn content, isn't it? Yeah, totally. But you see it. That's what conference yeah, yeah. like. Yeah, well, because they 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 know, you know, it's a game. It's yeah. like it's like press. It's like PR. It's a game, yeah. and everybody yeah. knows the rules of the game. So you've got to have that Instagrammable slide. You've got to have that. It's all about you know. You got to have that level of positivity. I don't know how many times I've had an argument about. Um, Marcus, your stuff is so dark. People don't want. <laughs> yeah, but um, people still seem to like it. No, people want to see. Want to want to have some kind rabbits. of rabbits. There's rabbits, bunny rabbits, rainbows. Yeah, it's like the rainbows and but it's the LinkedIn. It's the LinkedInification of of thinking, yeah. uh, which is which is really really frightening. It's kind of, I've moved away now in terms of, um, in terms of, I don't do dystopian stuff anymore because that just doesn't, because we're living in it. So it doesn't, you know, I don't need to make it worse. We can see, and I can't write it quick enough. Yeah, but I can't, I can't write it quick enough because <laughs> it all comes in. So I've kind of like, you know, from the wicked pack of cards is, is like, kind of like, well, what what's the next phase of LinkedIn? And the next phase of LinkedIn is that they get that everybody they all discover paganism. <laughs> it's a, so, and I think that that's what you know you're talking about. There is that it's also trite. It's also shallow. It's very. It's like shallow knowledge. It's just mm. enough knowledge to get you through the seventeen minutes, and look a little bit smarter. Um, in a physical space, um, 
you know, we're going to get to that in a minute, but in, uh, in what it's like in a virtual space, but in the physical theater of conference mm. stuff, just the very elevation of the speaker on a, on a stage creates the aura of imp yeah. important and cleverness. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, they did one of those um, School of Life, London School of Life Sunday sermons when that was still exciting. And it was in that Conway Hall, which is a converted church, as you recall. Um, and uh, it's now very strongly part of the um, of the um, atheist world. Uh, various societies are based there. Um, but I did a Sunday morning sermon, which, you know, it was they were trying to be the concept is ironic because it's it's sermons for the godless really and the devil is the mc who you know wanders up and down the aisles stirring people on and we sing an, an unholy song in order to um in order to get in the mood and then i'd give a sermon and then just the thought of standing up on stage and giving a sermon seems so execrable to me it wasn't the thought of standing up. It was the giving the sermon bit. I'm at the pulpit. I'm in power. Yeah. Do I say people? I know. But I think that, that there's, there's the, the whole spectacle, the theatre spectacle of the physical space is so important. But we've had that kind of taken away. See, what I did there was a segue. Yeah, that's like a link, isn't it? Is that what they call it? Yeah, I'm going to press another button. Go on. It's time for the virtual you there. Um, so what? Have, so we're not doing these live things at the moment, mm -hmm. and it's going to be a while until it kind of gets semi back to normal. And we'll talk a little bit about what that might look like in a minute. Mm -hmm. But what have you been doing lately? What have What have your virtual experiences been? Have you done any, or are you just? Yeah, I've done, I've done lots actually. Yeah, but they've been. Um, there have been only a handful of keynote-type things, to be honest. I've been taking this experience and then that, that I create and then trying to find new ways to deliver that on platforms like Zoom. And the first thing to say is you can't just cut and paste. It's not, it doesn't work like that, and not least because it looks a bit silly having people do this because they're different <laughs> places from that. I should, point, I should point out the dear listeners that uh, Mark and myself are talking over Zoom. So he was just waving his hands like a like a wavy, like a wavy thing. Yeah. yeah. So um, so yeah. Uh, so you can't do it. You can't just cut and paste. In fact, you have to completely rethink it. And say, so, so what is the length of attention that you can expect anyone to have on a Zoom call? It's a, Unless it's a you and me, question. We're both riveting, right? Oh, God, yeah. Two old farts. <laughs> <laughs> having a natter. It's Sutler and Waldorf, isn't it, from the Muppets? Having, having a natter. I think it's... Um, I, I've gotten into some arguments about this. I think it's somewhere between... I think it's about four and a half minutes to maximum seven. Mm -hmm. I think that's about the length of time that you can do... The ideal time is actually three minutes. Mm. That's I think that's about right. I think that's about right. And so what you have to do is instead of you talking, you have to get people to do shit. And you have to be as inventive and rapid in your turnaround of that stuff as possible and, and facilitate the conversations that they have with each other in different 
pairs, in fours, in whole group, and and design those experiences as you would do if it was just you on stage and an audience. You have to spend as much time doing that stuff and practicing it as you would do. So here's an example. So if you were talking about communication, um, one of the things I've done, I did, uh, done recently, um, and it's a, I've used the trick a few times now with my lovely friend Katzi, um, is it's rather than talk about communication and the importance of touching people's hearts, it's really obvious shit, right? Everybody knows that. Of course, they forget it in the work environment. So what I've got people to do is um, we're going to put on a show, and this show is going to consist of one of the greatest, most moving, uplifting speeches you've ever heard. Cut into five bits and five groups, get 15 minutes between them to prepare their chunk of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. And their job is to make it as uninteresting as possible, to remove everything that's valuable. Oh, wow. Okay. And, you know, you don't need to say, touch people's hearts, give them something to believe in, use the, you know, the patent uh, groups of three, use alliteration if you can, frame it in with biblical terms if it's blah, 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 all that. You don't have to. Mm. You don't have to tell them that stuff because the important bit is the stuff that touches people's hearts. <laughs> all that stuff that I feel uncomfortable about using in business, I need to use more of that. Mm. And that's the start. But they, they have a sh- because you cut it into five bits and they've got to wait 15 minutes into their breakout room and they come back and we go, right, we're going to do the whole show and we're going to do it without any practice. Just check the mics, who's going to lead the performance in each group and we go from one to the other, right? Tech, check, check, mics, done. Right, here we go. From the top, this is Martin Luther King's speech as in- reinterpreted by. And that, you know, that's 50 people kind of put that together in... 15 minutes prep, and then uh, it'll be about five or six minutes performance. And everyone's falling about themselves at a great time. That's 20 minutes about communication. You can have a couple of minutes of wash up and go, what's my private reflection? Because I think that's something we need to get people to do on Zoom calls, private reflect before the conversation starts. And then find some way to them to post it in a public place. That's it. It's 25 minutes, done. I think... What's interesting about what you've just said, and it's kind of, again, we're coming back to the core of what you do, which is focusing on the people. Uh, One of the aspects of the Zoom fatigue report, which I've been banging on about, I think, in every single episode that I've recorded, um, the study from Stanford University, is the point that the audience is an active participant. Or should be. No, that's one of the causes of the stresses. All right. So it normally we would, you know, you would have somebody on the stage that would be the focus of the attention. The audience can kind of withdraw into the darkness of the auditorium and they're sat next to each other. But there's but then the only really there's only real peripheral vision. Mm -hmm. On a Zoom call, everybody is active at the same time. They're all looking at each other at the same time in the grid. They're always on unless, of course, they turn the camera. Absolutely. So it's really interesting that that is actually very actually plays into your hands, into your shtick in a way. Yeah. Um, have you struggled really? with it? Did you find it hard to kind of to? Yeah, of course I did. And you have to condense stuff and then reformat it so that people people can find ways to to interact with each other which are appropriate. Yeah. So that's hard. Um, 
and you actually have to be really smart about saying less. And I get to work with lots of Finnish people, and I love lovely, them. I think I love them dearly. I love Helsinki. Mm. It's oh. yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? And um, in one of my trainings that I had with um, a senior client of theirs, actually, that I was training, he looked at me because I was I, I he hadn't said anything for a while, and he said, "Marcus." We Finns are very comfortable with silence. And it's an incredible trait, actually. They'll sit there in silence. They won't say anything. They'll just sit there and ponder and have a little (laughs) think about things. Mm. That kind of doesn't play well to the screen unless you play with it. Because we're we're used to something happening all of the time. You know, radio silence is not a great thing. No, radio silence plus the fact that when you're on Zoom calls, you've got um, an, a lot of cognitive distractions, the visual distraction of the things that are behind people, the visual distraction of trying to work out what your body language is telling me now because I can't actually see much of your body, so I can't read any of that stuff. And then there's lots of people that I, I just I don't, don't know where to look. Oh, and fundamentally, I heard this one from a, um, a, a filmmaker, mate, who said... Think about what a, uh, a head and shoulders shot tells you in filmic language. What have we learned from a head and shoulders shot? Normally there's something important that's going to happen. Or is happening. It's a big moment. Your mate is right. That whole, um, and it's a thing that I, I've been thinking about and talking to a lot of mentees about is, you know, how you frame yourself is you can create power. You can create discomfort. I've seen a, a video of a, a pretty well-known speaker who just did a thing in his office or something, and he's up right up close to the camera, and it's really, really unnerving. It feel, makes him feel like he's, he's about to lose his mind because that's what we've learned from cinema and television, the way he's framed himself. I have... Because um, I, I know you like copy, copy, copy... Mm-hmm. I know you're a sponge for ideas and things. There's a show which is running on Amazon in um, in Germany now called uh, Last One Laughing. Right. And they've put uh, maybe nine, ten comedians in a, in a room and no one's allowed to laugh for six hours. That's great. And it's brilliant. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. That's just brilliant. Because the obviously you have the things of you have the guy who's like the the laugh master who's just keeping an eye and making sure that nobody's giggling and he hits the big red button. So all the stuff that you you've been doing for years, like yeah. he's got a big red button that he hits yeah. Yeah. when somebody yeah. laughs. Yeah. Um, and I think that those that kind of it it, it, it those mechanics of dealing. It, it's a more intelligent way. It's more intelligent than Big Brother in a way because we're watching skilled people trying to, to negotiate a particular thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it does something to the audience. It, it gives them power. That's interesting, isn't it? That's interesting. And, and in, a, in a sort of palatable way, 
you know, unlike um, most reality shows, which are like emotional roadkill, aren't they? <laughs> people, people really shouldn't shouldn't be exposed to really tough situations, and certainly not on cameras. Just don't have the means to deal with it. Yeah, makes you feel so the, awful. Yeah, there is a, there is a kind of disgusting um, abuse of power for, there. Mm. So we're sat, we're sat laughing at somebody who is being manipulated to into a situation which is making them look like a fool. Mm. But with this format laugh out, last one laughing, we're being given the power of laughter, which is something that's been taken away from them. So they've transferred the power from, from the protagonist to the audience. I'm going to check that out. I'm going to check that out. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, it's so funny. I, I, it, it, I nearly wet my knickers. So I, I had a similar experience. So as we're swapping uh, interesting comedy stuff on Amazon, have you seen the, ever seen the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling? No. Absolutely brilliant. No. It's a two-part documentary about sort of his life and where he went with his work. He's just extraordinary, extraordinary comedian. And I first knew him, and that was my dominant view of him as that sort of over-tanned, over-quaffed, chat show host, Johnny Carson stand-in kind of guy with too much teeth, you know. I think it's, what, they call him Jamaica horse mouth. <laughs> I think it's interesting that, you know, people, if, if, if he's an absolute god for a whole generation yeah. of American comedians, mm. absolute god. Mm. And for for us Brits, because he, I think it was only what was it on Channel Four or BBC Two or yeah, something yeah, yeah. Yeah. back 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 in the days when it was black and white television, boys and girls. <sighs> Where my steampunk um, <laughs> hardware comes from, amazing, unbelievable. Um, but uh, this it, 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 it's another thing that Mark Carlos is, is a champion of is the the fine art of the remix of of take or uh, as Faris Jacob would say talent imita imitates genius steals mm. uh, when when we do, when, when I you know trying to understand virtual formats virtual performances virtual keynotes virtual presentations mm. whatever you have to steal a lot from telly from yeah. um uh from from uh, it's i think it's really it's actually quite frightening when you think about it how poorly certain areas strategic partners i'm looking at you of uh the advertising industry have adapted to the screen yeah, totally just really but i mean partly because it looks the the making of stuff that this kind of platform encourages us to do the making of it looks shit. You know, people messing around, coming up with an idea, and then lots of standing around not doing anything. It just looks a bit rubbish. They haven't got used to showing what they do. Even when they talk, it just sounds gibberish. You know, it's not something your mother would want you to do. There's again, and that's got an, an awful lot to do with the with the context of of theatre and the context of television. Yeah. So the conference stage theater, I always like to do things in things that really look like theaters. Yeah. Because that's yeah. when you, you know, you can go, I can go all in the, where, where was the marketing society thing? 
natural. Was at the uh, IMAX theatre at the Science Museum in London. Yeah, that was just incredible. It was I walked into there and I and I and I and I, I, I nearly wept for for joy because I knew that I can work this room. This is something that yeah. I can work with. Um, yeah. a, a trade fair hall is a struggle for me. But there's still these theatre spaces and they have context that you have to kind of learn how to, you know, you have to know what a stage is, have to know how to stand in the right light and how to work with the cameras and stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. And then, But there's also the stuff about how I need to know that so well that I don't have to think about it when I want to, to break that. I do deliberate breaking of the third wall or fourth yeah. wall. I can do a deliberate... Um, uh, dead air moment I can get someone up on stage which breaks the the rule again yeah. I can go down in the audience and talk to them we can sit there and look at some stuff together that's again but that's a lot there's a lot of stuff in there that reminds me of telly from um, from our yeah, childhood and youth so things like Tiz Was um, absolutely comedians uh that's where i get it from that's that's that makes so much sense now yeah, yeah. it's just, just yeah. kind of like tis was and stuff because they were making up it making it up as a as they went along mm. um even things like you know noel edmund's um saturday swap shop thing yeah, yeah. That, that was genius and you can if you look at that and i tend to tell people that, that are planning to do virtual events and things to go and have a look at that yeah, because exactly. that's how you do a live stream. That's absolutely, and you, you, if you, you learn about how do you create a little segment here that's this, how do you program different segments and keep bringing people and keep, yeah, keep them engaged and keep them excited and then blindside them by something? Uh, how do you do that? It's all about designing a show, right? I mean, that's the, the truth, and, and you know, the, the same principles are involved there. And the idea, I think fundamentally the idea with the speaker and an audience and a stage, the problem with it is that somehow there's a message that comes from on high from the speaker to the audience. It gets transmitted out and they receive it gratefully and process it and dutifully go off and enact it. It's just nonsense. Yeah, you can can almost hear Roland Bart (laughs) get his triangle out. Exactly. So let me, guys, let me explain what's going on here. (laughs) Um, But again, that and that's something which I find really interesting about um, the virtual formats is that you could then, while we were talking about that, we could then have a segment where Roland Bart would come in. Yeah. And explain that as like a funny... I've got a Roland Bart hat while we're here. Yeah, My there you Roland go. Put, here your, go. put your Roland Bart hat. There we go. I'm explaining this in French. So up here you have this and this is the power. And no, it's exactly. So, exactly. so you can do these more layered things. And I think mm. what's interesting is that I think a lot of us are going to be taking the new skill set that we've learned over the last 12 months. For, it's probably going to be about 18 months by the, by the time mm. that we can say, oh, I think we're kind of through this now i think the first live events are going to be in 2022 to be fair but we're going to take those elements or the smart people are going to take the elements that they've learned from this time and build build blended hybrid performances that work for live and virtual audiences Mm. um i think that's a 
It's interesting. I was looking at the other day um, at some old footage of um, Kraftwerk. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they, they had this, this thing about using robots or sometimes it was just dummies of them and sometimes it was them and, and then sometimes changed and a light changed. They're really smart and playing with the reality of being the performers given that most of the stuff was in the backing track. Oh, shut up. Um, and... Um, I was just thinking how that seemed sort of quite left field as a sort of a comment about performance and artists and audiences and stuff then. And we really haven't gone any further. We still go, okay, let's, when we all get back together, we'll, you know, get the band back on stage and we'll do a, you know, you know, turn the mics up and the amps will be going and it'll just be the same as it was before. It won't. How can it be the same? Well, it, it you know the, all, the people are going to be different. We're, we're, nobody's getting out of this thing without <laughs> neurosis, swollen yeah. livers, uh, and a stable yeah. and a stable state of mind. I think you know people are going to be. Uh, I think people are going to want to see something different if they go and see anything at all. Correct. Um, I think the the interesting thing about craft work is that you know looking back, it makes complete sense. Um, but at the time, it was completely mind-boggling. Totally. Mark, two minutes to go. We're doing really well here. It's time now to close the show, I'm afraid. And it's something that you have to do with... Final three. Final three. It's the final three. Your final three tips for our listeners. The Mark Earls Herdmeister tips to... Getting an audience engaged, smashing a talk out the ballpark. Free tips, go on. Well, I don't know whether they'll do any of those things, but the first thing is to remember it's about them and not about you. That's the first and most important thing. Um, you're designing it for them and not for you. You want them to feel something and not you. It's your experience of it is a byproduct, but it's them that you need to think about. So who are they? How are they feeling? What's the room like? What's happened before? What's going to happen afterwards? When they when they go to speak to other people, what they're going to feel, say, do. It's that kind of stuff. It sounds really functional as a sort of terrible advertising brief, but it's really important. It's about them and not about you. The second thing is um, say less. Um, say less. And the third thing is make sure that it's fun of one sort or another you know people have so much content if you know if you think about the number of speeches that are available online now you just don't need any more conferences we don't need any more people to do it. so this has to be the best 20 minutes 30 minutes that we're going to spend for as long as you can how can you do that make it something worth remembering rather than um, remembering you. Ladies and gentlemen, the Herdmeister, Mark Ells. Thank you, Mark. Thank you.